Morning, everybody. Go Niners. Anybody? Andy. You know it's like a whole team, right? It's not. All right. How many Chiefs fans? <laughs> How many really don't care? Yikes, but you're still going to do a Super Bowl party, aren't you? Yeah, because yeah. we got the commercials and halftime. And next year, next year, my prediction, Eagles-Buffalo. No? Anybody with me? Wow. All right. Not a big football crowd here. So, how you all doing? Good? Good. All right, we're not going to have a conversation. This is me talking. So let me stop asking you questions like I want you to answer. So we have um, a, a couple here at, uh, at Hope, um, uh, Paul and Judy Lone, who a couple of weeks ago went to the um, Antique Roadshow uh, show. Um, and um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, it's this deal where... Um, they travel around from city to city, town to town, and uh, set up shop in, I guess, a hotel lobby kind of thing, and people can come and bring items from their homes that are antiques to find out um, what these things would be valued at, what they would, might go for if they were auctioned. And uh, so Paul and Judy went. Judy had a doll that has been uh, part of her life for uh, a number of years. And uh, she thought maybe this doll could be worth as much as $400. So she went with, you know, some hopes about the value of this doll. Paul um, brought some posters he bought as a boy. Um, kind of the uh, psychedelic rock posters of the 60s. So he had uh, about six of those, uh, cost him a buck a piece, and uh, so he hoped that maybe they had increased in value. So they went off to the uh, Antiques Roadshow and uh, got to the uh, guy who does the evaluation, and he looked at Judy's doll and said, 40 bucks. Like, wah, wah, wah. That was disappointing. But Paul, these posters that he spent six bucks on as a kid were now valued at about $3,700. Woo! Yay! So the moral of that story is invest in posters, not dolls. I don't... I... So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And um, then, so that was a couple weeks ago. Then last week on the news was a, sh uh, was a story of a guy, maybe some of you saw it, who did the same thing. He went to the Antiques Roadshow. Um, he had bought a Rolex watch back in the late 60s, early 70s. He was a Vietnam vet, and uh, he just, he thought that Rolex watches were just this stunning piece of jewelry. He just was really infatuated and wanted one. And so it, back in the day, it cost him a month's salary to get this Rolex watch, but he, it was beautiful. In fact, he said it was just so beautiful that he didn't feel like he could wear it because it was just too nice and um, he didn't want to damage it in any way. And so he just kept it uh, for all of these years. And uh, now he brings it to the Antique Roadshow. Now, if you didn't see it, the guy is huge. He's this big guy. Um, 
and uh, he has long white hair, full white beard, you know, he looks like a hillbilly kind of guy, um, big dude, and he's gives the watch, and he's standing there as the guy's doing this evaluation. He said, you know, it's a beautiful watch. It's obviously in mint condition, and it's got this marking on it, and I don't understand any of this, but it's got something about it that made it very, very rare. And he said, you know, so this watch that you bought back in the early 70s for a few hundred dollars is now probably worth upwards of $700,000. What? This big guy falls to the floor. Like he literally just fell down. <laughs> I don't, you know, how could you blame the guy? Like, that, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, I'm listening to this stuff. How do, they do, how do they place a value on these things? That's what I'm always curious about. Like, how does a $300 or $400 watch suddenly become $700,000? Why is a doll that might be worth $400 actually only worth $40? How, how do you do that? And ultimately, it's what people will pay, right? That's what ultimately it's about. And so people who collect stuff, they're looking for certain things, and they're looking for rare things, and... Uh, things that make them special, and that's what brings about their value. I came across this quote by Albert Einstein. Ever heard of him? Albert Einstein said this, Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted deep, right? What do you think that means? I have no idea. It's Albert Einstein. I mean, this guy was a genius, right? This is Mr. E equals MC squared. I don't know. What, what does that mean, Albert? I don't know what he meant, but here's what I take away from that quote, though. When I hear that, this is what it says to me, that sometimes we place value on things that don't really matter all that much. And sometimes there are things that matter a lot that we fail to value. We do that in the church. We do that in our lives, of course, but we do that in church as well. We value the wrong things at times. We count the wrong things and miss out on the things that really matter. So the things that are often counted in church particularly among leaders in the church and uh, clergy most of all, perhaps, we count things like our buildings, our budgets, and butts on the benches. You know what I'm saying? Right? Our buildings, how big's your building, you know? And so clergy get together and, you know, they talk about the building that they pastor in and, and how big their budgets are and how many people are arriving. Those things are easy to count, but is that really what matters? Those may be indicators of a church doing good things, but is that really what the church is about? And it's not. It's not. The business of the church, the core business of the church, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is about. That's why the church exists. That's what we are called to do, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what's a disciple? 
A disciple is a person who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. It's a person who is growing in their faith in Christ. That's what a disciple is. And that's what we're called to do, is to make disciples. That's what counts. Even though, in many ways, it's the harder thing to count. It's harder to quantify. It's easy to quantify a building. It's easy to quantify a budget. It's easy to quantify numbers of people. What's hard to count is our lives being transformed into the image of Christ. So we're beginning a five-week series. We're calling What Counts? And it's based on two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, a man named Timothy. And out of these letters to Timothy, to look at what the Apostle Paul said should count. These are the things that matter. These are the things that are valuable. And he's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring a church, about those things. And so I'm excited about this series that uh, we're beginning today. Um, just a couple of uh, quick things about Timothy, for those of you who may not know. Uh, so Timothy is a second-generation Christian, okay? One of the first ones named in Scripture, a second-generation Christian, meaning that Timothy's mom and his grandmother were both Christ followers. Some point in their lives, these two women um, gave their hearts gave their lives to Jesus. We don't know if they actually met Jesus and, uh, and it was in following him literally that they became uh, Christian, or if it was later through the testimony of others who had followed Jesus and they heard about it and they experienced the transforming power of putting their faith in Jesus. We don't know which of those scenarios uh, happened, but we do know that mom and grandma were both followers. Timothy then was raised in this household uh, where mom and grandma were very committed followers of Jesus. We also know that mom and grandma became friends with Paul at some point along the way. They became friends of Paul. And so chances are Paul knew Timothy from the time he was a boy and watched him grow and uh, was caring for this family, interested in this family and, uh, and this boy named Timothy. And over time, as Timothy grew, Paul became more and more an influence in his life. Timothy at some point made a decision of his own to follow Christ and as his faith grew Paul saw in him leadership qualities and abilities and faithfulness and ultimately tasked Timothy to become a leader within the church and appointed him to go and lead the church in the city of Ephesus so that's where Timothy is that's where he came from he is now uh, serving as a pastor. He's a, he's a relatively young man. Again, don't know the ages. There's conjecture about how old he might have been, but it's just that. But he was clearly young um, in age, but mature in the faith, and so he is leading this church. The letters, then, that Paul writes to him are letters of instruction, telling Timothy 
to pay attention to things that matter and not get bogged down uh, into things that don't matter. So it's a really, in that way, it really is helpful for us uh, as the church today uh, as well to make sure that we're clear about the things that really count and the things that don't matter as much. So I want to start with um, a verse from the second letter. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Timothy 2.2. 2. 2. I said that at the first service. Somebody came up to me and said, did you know that today is 2-2-2020? Of course I knew. That's how we plan these things. That was just a strange coincidence. Anyway, 2 Timothy 2.2, it says this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, the things that you heard me say in the presence of many others take those things and share them with others who will then share them with others. What counts? What counts is disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. Paul has taught Timothy in the presence of others. So so you can imagine that it was a gathering of uh, young men and women who Paul was instructing about what it means, to, what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? How did Jesus live? He's sharing those things with this gathering of people. And then tasks them with, now you go share that information with others who are going to share it with others. Disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. People who are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others who are sharing what they're learning with others who are then sharing it with others. That's what really counts. It's a ministry of influence. That's how I would describe it. It's a ministry of influence. The word influence... According to the dictionary, influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, the development, or the behavior of someone. The capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone. So when we're talking about the faith, when we're talking about being a Christ follower, it's the capacity to have an effect for Christ on someone's character, development, or behavior. It's a ministry of influence. And so let me ask you the question, who were the influencers in your faith development? Who were the people in your life who influenced you for Christ? Do you know who they are? Can you picture who those people would be in your life? 
And I suspect for many of you, you don't have to think a whole lot about it. There are people whose names come instantly to mind. Of course, you know, for me, for many of us, right, mom and dad were right at the front of the line. That's not true for everybody. It was true for me. Mom and dad took me to church every Sunday because it was important. It's a value. It's who we are. I wasn't always happy about it. I don't want to go was often my, you know, Sunday morning refrain. I don't want to go. The answer was always, do you want to eat? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, was, it was that early influence. But it didn't end there. You know, my grandparents had some influence in there. There were Sunday school teachers who had some influence in there. I think of Mr. and Mrs. Paul Hemus, Peggy and Charles Paul Hemus, who in my early years were uh, people who just had this uh, real commitment to children and to their faith development and just a sweet spirit about them. And uh, they had a huge influence on me as a child. I didn't fully appreciate it or understand it, of course, as a kid. It wasn't until later. As I got into my preteen and early teen years, there was a group of 20-somethings, um, hippies. Some of you remember hippies. Others of you read about them in history books. Um, but, you know, they were, they were the kind of uh, hippies of the late 60s, early 70s. But beyond that, they were also young Christ followers. And so they started a group for middle school kids like me. And uh, we would gather once a week, and they, we would do some fun stuff together. And then we would, uh, one of the guys would pull out his guitar and start to sing songs about Jesus, which was mind-blowing back then. Like a young person with a guitar singing about Jesus. You don't do that. That's the place of an organ, right? Like in our day, you know, the guitar, like, okay, it's a guitar. Back then, that was crazy. For a kid, though, that was awesome. So they would do that, and then they, you know, one of them would, would share a little teaching out of the Bible. These 20-somethings teaching 12, 13, 14-year-olds. You know, it was an influence in my life and in my early development as a Christ follower. These are some of the influences on my life. Who were they for you? And how did they influence you? Let me ask another question. Who are you influencing? Who are the people in your life that you're influencing for Christ? And in this, I'm not talking about um, evangelism. I'm not talking about people who are outside of the faith that you may be trying to influence to uh, become believers. That's a, that's a different thing. This is about helping others to grow in their faith. People who have a faith, but you're coming alongside them and influencing how their faith is growing. Are there people in your world, in your life, that you are actively and intentionally helping to grow in their faith. And your response to that, 
some of you know those people and you're going through a list of names right now and thinking about who those people are, um, and that's, that's cool. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I have no idea how, what that would even look like. How would you even do that? And really, it's, in, in a lot of ways, it's pretty simple. It begins with a ministry of presence. Just being present in somebody's life and showing an interest in their life. Asking them how things are going and uh, what things they're learning and what things they're excited about and what things they're maybe struggling with and um, where are they right now in their faith? How would they describe that? How would they talk about that? To just ask those questions to show that kind of interest in somebody is a huge ministry and encouragement to someone's faith. I had a guy like that in my life, and uh, now I'm in my uh, mid-20s. I had moved here from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, into South Jersey. I didn't know anybody. Um, the guy that I was living with at the time, uh, my uncle and my aunt, uh, had a home, and they, they allowed me to use the third floor of their house. And uh, my uncle at that time was going to a Bible study on Wednesday mornings that he invited me to come to. So I went that first time, and uh, I'm 24 years old. I walk into this room. There's about eight or ten guys. The next youngest guy is in his 40s. There were men there that were like 60. You know, like ancient. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? This is, um, I will not be coming back. Uh, but, you know, I got in, and they were great. They welcomed me, and uh, they were interesting and interested in me and encouraging and so forth. And so I, I started to attend this Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And in that, the next youngest guy, who was a guy in his 40s, a business guy, um, uh, invited me to lunch. And uh, so we went out to lunch, and he did just what I said. You know, he was asking me questions about myself and, you know, what are you hoping to do and uh, what are the things you're excited about and what are you learning and, you know, talking about his life and, and his faith and so forth. And we began to meet once a month for lunch. His name was Bill Fox. Um, some of you may know the name. Uh, he was at that time the president of Fox and Lazo Realty that then became Fox and Roach, and then became Prudential Fox and Roach, and then became something, became something. I don't even know what it is anymore. Um, Bill has since gone on to glory. Uh, but he showed interest in me as this young guy. He wasn't a Bible scholar. He wasn't a theologian. He was just a guy trying to grow in his faith who saw another guy, a younger guy, who maybe he could come alongside and encourage. And he was one of the first people in my adult life who said, you know, Jeff, I see gifts in you that I think you could probably be a pastor. I'm like, what? What are you even saying right now? Stick to real estate, buddy, because you don't know anything. Who are the people that you're influencing, and what would that look like? So it's this ministry of presence, right? Who are the people that you are coming alongside and hanging out with and spending time with and sharing your own faith with, the, the things that you're learning, the things that you're struggling with? 
the whole reason for this small groups ministry that, we're, that we do here is to create an environment where that can happen where you can plug into a group of people who are looking to grow in their faith. They may be brand new at it. They may be, you know, years ahead of you, um, all different places, but where you can come together in a safe place and to talk about your faith, to encourage some others, to challenge, so that we all can grow in this faith. And then, you know, out of that, people move on and start affecting the lives of others. So check this out. <clears throat> Second, uh, first Timothy. So the first one was, remember where it was? Second Timothy 2.2. Two, because it's 2.2.2020. Two, All right, 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12, this is what it says. Do not let anyone look down on you, Timothy. Right? Don't, look anyone, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example. Hold on. Set an example. What's that? Be an influence. Right? Don't worry about your age, your chronolog chronological years. You can influence people. Don't worry about how young your faith is. You can influence people for Christ. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. As you are spending time with people, Timothy, they get to hear how you talk. They get to see how you act. They get to witness the ways that you show love and compassion to other people. And that will influence them for Christ. And they're going to take some stuff that they learned from you, and they're going to start applying it in their life with their sphere of influence. And those people then are going to be influencing others for Christ. That's what counts. That's what matters. That's the church doing the business of the church. People in faith, encouraging, challenging, inspiring one another in the ways that they live out their faith. So if you don't have that group of people that you're involved with, if you haven't been part of a small group yet, I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe God is calling you to start one around a book or a topic that you're interested in. Maybe there's one that you want to plug into. This isn't a commercial for small groups. This is an encouragement of how you can grow in your faith and help others grow in their faith as well. So, a number of years ago, I was um, <clears throat> just getting together with different guys from the church for lunch, you know, so uh, we'd be having a conversation, maybe in the lobby or something, and, and uh, I would say, hey, um, would you like to get together sometime for lunch? Now, I forget sometimes that I'm this weird guy, 
who has this weird job that freaks people out. So when I ask somebody, you know, just casually, hey, would you like to go to lunch? I forget that in their head they're going, oh my gosh, why does he want to go to lunch with me? Right? And they, you know, you feel like, I got to say yes, I guess, if I'm going to keep coming to church here, you know, and the night before we get together for lunch, they're flipping through their Bible trying to like figure out a verse that I'm going to, you know, what am I going to say to this guy at lunch? <laughs> and it's really, after the lunch, they always walk away disappointed. You know, like, that was it? Yeah, it's just getting to know folks, right? So, so had lunch, you know, with this one guy, and we spent, got to know him a little bit, and, uh, and then lunch with another guy and another guy. And with, with these three different guys that um, just randomly had lunch with, there was no plan, just get together for lunch, God was speaking to me about getting these three guys together in a small group. Okay, neither of them, none of them, you know, that wasn't the conversation or anything. So, so one by one, I asked them, hey, <clears throat> I'm going to start a small group on a Saturday morning. It's just going to be an hour once a month. I'd like you to come. And again, each one had the same reaction, like, oh, what? I, you know, I've never done that before. I'm, you know, what time on Saturday? All three of them finally agreed to come once a month. And the first meeting, it was great, you know, like good conversation. And there was a bit of an affinity between the three of them. All three were, you know, guys in business and so forth, similar kind of challenges and struggles. And uh, so we got together the next, next month and, and there was a little more comfort, you know, and the conversation got a little more um, serious and in-depth and so forth. Not crazy, but, you know, they got comfortable with each other. And month after month after month, these guys started to get a connection with each other. And it got harder and harder to get them out of my office after an hour. And I had stuff to do. <laughs> like, so I'm like, you got to go. Like, wow, that's rude, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so they would go to a diner and carry on the conversation or to each other's houses. And then they said, you know, like, well, we need to meet more than once a month. Like, ugh, you're killing me. Uh, fine, we'll meet twice a month, all right, every other week. And that didn't last very long. They were saying, we just need to meet every week. Like, I'm not doing that, is what I'm saying. I'm not meeting with you guys every week. You're not that interesting. I'm not, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, I, I couldn't do it, but they met every week. I was part of it every other week. And after about a year or a year and a half of doing that, they said, you know, this is great. We ought to invite some other guys to be a part of this. And so they began to ask, ask some of the guys that they knew if they'd like to be a part of it. And some got, you know, some yeses, some, they got some noes, but the group kind of doubled in size. And these guys began to be an encouragement to other guys in their faith. And it was a regular Saturday thing. And the stories that were coming out of that group were awesome. Of guys finding encouragement um, who always struggled to plug in and to get involved and so forth had found a place, had found a group. Normal guys doing normal life trying to figure out their faith. 
that's what counts. After several years of that, two of the guys, those original three, two of them began to get together with my son Josh, who was in college and beginning to move out into his early life and career. And these guys served my son in a way similar to how Bill Fox served me. That's just part of the blessing. That's part of the joy. That's part of the wonder of disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. That's what counts. That's what matters. It's the good stuff of the church, and I don't want any of you to miss out on that. So I'm going to keep beating the drum on the small group thing, keep beating the drum on who are the people that you're influencing. Who are the people that at some point as they tell their story of faith, they're going to be talking about you. And something that you said, something in the way that you cared for them, something in the way that you lived that spoke to them, and help them take a next step in their faith. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Lord, thank you for this amazing community called the church. Thank you especially for this church called Hope. For the men and women who have been part of this community of faith, who have... taken their own discipleship seriously and have been willing to be a blessing have been willing to be an encouragement have been willing to be a part of the lives of others that their faith might grow and for all of the amazing things that you have done as people have taken on that great uh, challenge Continue to do that in our lives today. For all of the stories yet to be told, for all of the lives yet to be influenced, for the sake of your kingdom we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.